books with Aaron and Polly and Tim. I'm Aaron. I'm Polly. And I guess that means I'm Tim. <laughs> there was a question there. Well, we are down two hosts today. Wayne is off in the uh, far distant lands of Indianapolis, Indiana. He is off at the Gen Con uh, role-playing game convention. And Lord only knows where Jonathan is. Yeah, you know, I, I'm kind of sad because our our uh, podcasting checks, we pooled them together. And we only had enough money to send one person to Gen Con. And Wayne got the short straw. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, you know, he, and he also took the you know the payroll, and uh, he said he was going to double it for us. And uh, you know, when I when I ask him about that, you know, he just he doesn't respond. I don't know what's going on there, but he said that uh, you know he was feeling lucky, and that uh, he was gonna he he was betting on his sort of wounding, and he was going to be able to double that pay, payroll for us. But uh, oh, Aaron, haven't you ever seen Carlito's way? No, you no. don't trust the money guy. <laughs> he is our Sean Penn. <laughs> Crap. <laughs> uh, yeah. That would make you Scarface, though. That would make me Scarface. Say hello to my little friend. So you took your car into the shop this morning, I hear. Well, you know, all this week in uh, beautiful North Texas, it's been 105 degrees. And so, of course, my air conditioner fails. So uh, had to run that into the shop this morning. So we're starting a little bit later than we normally would so that I could get it over to the uh, mechanic such that it could be cool in my car again. That is so disappointing compared to what I had in mind. <laughs> Why, what did you have in mind? <laughs> I thought you were getting it detailed to get out the hooker juice and cocaine stains. Or, or puke. <laughs> I, I did ask him to go ahead and pimp my four-door Honda Accord. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I got some spinners on it now and, uh, you know, got the, the, the under, uh, you know, neon, the whole bit. Yeah. So did you have to take the burrow to work yesterday? I, well, you know, fortunately it was the wife's car. Oh. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so she took the burrow to work. <laughs> Good deal. She drove the Oscar Mayer wiener to work. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> that just seems so dirty. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what else is dirty? What? The all? Streets of Shadowland. And you know what? Since we only have three hosts on today, we actually have a book that all of us read. Yeah. We all really enjoyed Shadowland number one. I, I, I think that's safe to say. I'm curious to see how uh, you, what you guys thought about uh, issue two. I'm, I'm so glad I, I read Daredevil so that I could uh, get a full detail of Foggy Nelson's motivation in this book. <laughs> er, <laughs> well, maybe not. But no, good book. No, I don't have a whole lot to say other than it was cool to see um, how Ghost Rider is going to fit into this in the storyline. Uh, I thought that was a pretty strange twist. That uh, Ghost Rider page where he makes his big dramatic entrance is a badass page. Yes, yeah, cool. I, I, I was reading that last night. You know, now my, my uh, folks who follow me on Twitter know that I, I generally do most of my comic book reading on Friday night with a cigar and bourbon. And uh, I was on my second bourbon when I read that page, and it really had an impact on me. <laughs> I really liked it. I, 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 that, that page is just so beautifully drawn and colored, very dramatic. I, I love the, uh, the forced perspective on it. Just really a very nice page. You know, I have a question for you guys. Yes, sir. Before I even say how much, you know, whether I like the book or not, I read it twice. Uh-huh. And it didn't occur to me until the second reading 
that the guy who bashes the windows and intentionally gets himself arrested to smuggle lockpicks into Shadowland uh-huh. was Moon Knight. Oh, I got that the first time out. Yeah, I got that one. It was, it's the symbol on the uh, the lettering. Yeah, I totally didn't notice that the first time. You know what I find questionable, though, in the book? You know, you, you see Kingpin, who walks into the soup kitchen earlier in the book, and, you know, has the conversation with Iron Fist and Luke Cage, right? Yes. And then uh, several pages beyond that, there is a similar figure who I think is Kingpin. But I was also going, well, that could also be the Silver Samurai. Is that Kingpin, the guy who's talking to Lady Bullseye? Yes. That has to be Kingpin. And my only concern is that I think it's Kingpin, but he's wearing such different clothing. And they didn't do anything to, you know, just make sure, you know, to they, they never call him by name or something like that. And so there, there was that little bit of confusion, but I've never seen Kingpin wearing this, you know, traditional Japanese garb before. I've never known Kingpin to speak and uh, rather practice Japanese or read Japanese for that matter. Um, so I, that, that was a little startling to me. I was like, well, I guess that, that could be Silver Samurai. No, it was well, definitely Kingpin. Okay. Yeah, and you know the the when you do a ancient Japanese ritual, it, it's custom to not you know wear your usual tuxedo. You have your to change tux. into yeah, you have to change into <laughs> traditional Japanese. But you know something something they could have done to help the reader is they could have shown his other clothes like folded or something you know over a chair or something like that. I mean, just a cue because you know it, he he doesn't wear a costume. Well, it, it's, a, it's a small queue, but there is the panel where it says it's in Midtown, and in the in the first issue, they had the pictures of where everybody was. Uh huh. I, if I remember right, he was in an office building too in Midtown. So I, I didn't catch that. Yeah. Well, not only that, how many eight hundred pound white guys are there in the Marvel universe, Aaron? <laughs> well, the Silver Samurai is a pretty big guy. <laughs> And that was the only reason I was thinking. I was like, because you know, they, they do look, at least from my memory, look a little similar. And you know, Wilson Fisk doesn't look as big; he doesn't look as fat <laughs> in the Japanese clothing. So it's very slimming on him. <laughs> yeah. Well, obviously, we all need to subscribe to that line of clothing. <laughs> Some slimming Japanese garb for me when yeah. I go out tonight. But um. I enjoyed the book. I, I actually thought it was very, very well done. I, uh, you know, I, I wish there had been a little more action. It seems like it's definitely taking its time getting somewhere. I did not think it was as good as the first issue. The I'll first issue that. I thought was uh, was very strong. I think this is probably just a bridge to get us to to the uh, more exciting third issue. It's certainly setting up all the drama and whatnot, particularly with what Kingpin's doing, and and it's showing you who the heroes are going to be that are going to be working against Daredevil. So, I mean, I liked it. I just didn't think it was nearly as much fun as the first issue. Summoning a demon uh, lose, uh, sheds, sheds 10 pounds on the camera. Just, just, <laughs> <laughs> Did anyone else well, think Shang-Chi was kind of a dick? <laughs> well, you know, that's his he's the master of kung fu. He can do whatever the hell he wants. Well, you know, there is right and there is wrong. This is wrong. You know this. 
I will uh, say I like that there's a real reason, like a natural story reason, for every character to be there. Yes. Except for Spider-Man. Yeah. He's like, hey, <laughs> how you doing? <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> well, you know, the, the, the roof was open. <laughs> That's why he's there. He's just swinging my back. If you leave a window open, Spider-Man will come in it. Now you that's know. Just, that's just how it works. No, um, the single women in New York. You, you know, the the thing that I noticed, and you're you're mentioning Shang Chi, Tim. Everybody on this on this page, you know, these are all '70s characters. You know, you know, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, Misty Knight, Colleen, whatever the hell her name is, and Shang Chi. All of the all of these guys have had a little bit of an update to their costume, with the exception of Shang Chi. Why can't the Chinese guy get a costume update? What's up with that? Because he's a jerk. <laughs> We'd give you a new costume, but since you're a dick, suck it, Shang-Chi. <laughs> he goes to the drag cleaners, and he's like, there's pressed, and there's not pressed. And this is not pressed. <laughs> they don't serve him anymore. Yeah. I don't blame him. I, can I see got that. a question for you, Paul. Is the tarantula guy in here, is that the new tarantula guy that they made for uh, the end of the Craven saga? No. Or is this a different tarantula? This is a different tarantula. Okay. I was confused. Yeah, they just toss around names. They only have a limited number of spider-related names. And uh, rather than calling him, I don't know, the, the little... What do you call those little guys? The, the brown recluse? <laughs> yeah, rather than calling him the brown recluse or... You know, anything like that. They're like, oh, just stick with Tarantula. It worked the first time. But I enjoyed it. But there was also the release of the first Shadowland tie-in issue. Oh, no, wait. There was Daredevil. But this was specifically a one-shot for Shadowland. Uh, Shadowland Bullseye came out this week. And Aaron and I read it. I hated it. I, I hated <laughs> it hard. I, I don't know what I was expecting when I when I picked it up. I just saw it and I was like, man, you know. When I originally started my pull list for this week, I didn't have a whole lot on it, so I was like, ah, I'll give it a shot. Um, my pull list grew, <laughs> and I should have pulled it off. And it was the, what I liked about the book happens on the first three pages. You know, it's when it's in the funeral scene for Bullseye, where you know you're startled that all these people are mourning Bullseye, and then you find out that. You know, even the priest is there against his will and is being threatened. You know, to to mourn Bullseye as a great man. Um, and then after that, I just hated every page. I didn't like the artwork on it. I didn't like the story. I didn't want. You know, the story uh, mo- follows uh, Ben Urich being pressed into reporting on the funeral of Bullseye, and he runs into a guy, Danny Deaver. Danny Deaver, Dennis Deaver. Um. Let's go with uh, DD. Let's just okay. call him DD. <laughs> Double D. Um, he uh, he runs into this guy who sees dead people, and Bullseye is haunting him. And that just, you know, I I didn't want to read a ghost story. And I, I think that was what my problem was with this book. It's not that it's poorly written. It just wasn't the story I was expecting. And it and you know, shame on it for not meeting up to my expectations. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I I just. I, I didn't want to read a ghost story. I wanted to read about you know how people were dealing with uh, uh, Bullseye's death as opposed to you know what we got. And I, I thought that the 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 motorcycle gang, I thought that piece of it was interesting. It was everything else that I that I didn't find interesting in the book. It was very interesting. I wasn't sure what to make of it. And I you know I like John Lehman. We've had John Lehman on the show before. Great guy. And that guy. was that was really large too. 
yeah, John Lehman was largely the reason why I bought the book. Yeah, you know, and it seems like you know it, it had some of his quirky sensibility in it, but you know, it, it, it did, he wasn't allowed to go all out. It seems, you know, it was subdued but quirky, and you know, the, the, the mixture just. I don't know. It was just an okay book. I, I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. It just didn't really, you know, it, it felt, honestly, it felt like kind of a waste. Yeah. And I was really hoping it wouldn't be. I was hoping for a little more of a tie-in. You know, The Funeral of Bullseye seems like it would make for good story fodder for the Shadowland. And I know we always complain that tie-ins have nothing to do with it, and we haven't learned our freaking lesson by now. <laughs> well, but, you, know, you know, if I had flipped through it at, at, on the rack... And seeing that how how prominently Ben Urich was featured in the book, I would have put it back, uh, largely because I disliked the Siege embedded book so much in which that character was in. Um, but, you know, I, I I I would have put it back. I didn't want to read Shadowland Frontline. I really didn't. I didn't want to read Shadowland Embedded. I wanted to read, you know, about the funeral of Bullseye. And I didn't, I didn't want this ghost story, and I didn't want it to be a, you know, a frontline story. I just wanted to see what the fallout was going to be, and I just wasn't happy with the fallout that I was given. Yeah, and that's a good point. You know, it, it's just, it, it is almost like a Shadowland embedded type story. Yeah, and I, and I think that's why I was disappointed in it. Oh well, can't win them all, right? <laughs> <laughs> But you seem to be pretty excited about a, a new DC comic release this week. Oh, hells yeah. I love Elseworlds books. I mean, that's some of my favorite books that uh, DC puts out. I really love the – I think they do their, their kind of what-if series Elseworlds much better than Marvel does their what-if series. They, they tell these just wild – what about this kind of story? You know, what if this had happened? And it happens in a completely alternate universe. And there's they they don't bother trying to do it all in one issue. They'll make it a miniseries for however long it needs to be. And this one was Superman: The Last Family of Krypton, telling the story of what if not just Kal El, but his mom and dad survived the destruction of Krypton and came to Earth. And this book is fan freaking tastic. The artwork is very compelling. I love the writing on the book and I I just I'm really digging where the story's going. Uh, it, it really does uh, tell a very different kind of origin story for Superman and his family. <laughs> One thing that I'm very amused by is how much, you know, the artist on this book is an ass man. <laughs> Because he keeps drawing uh, Laura Laura L's uh, backside in very very flattering manner, and you know I'm just like, damn, you know how how much of her ass are are we going to see in this book? I mean, it really should have been you know Superman, the last family of Krypton, Laura L's ass. You know, I mean that that (laughs) (laughs) super ass, yeah, exactly. And you know, because her ass is made all the more mighty by our yellow sun. (laughs) 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 But what what cracks me up in the book is, you know, you're sitting there and you're you're reading this, and I mean, he really draws uh, Lara L. very flattering. I mean, she's just very attractive in the way that the artist is depicting her. And I keep thinking, you know, how is young Kal-El gonna handle it when his his peers say dude your mom's a total milf 
Because <laughs> even if they don't say it to him directly, his super hearing, he's going to hear that. You know, and I need to see that. I need to see young Kal-El beating the tar out of one of his classmates for talking about the dirty, dirty things that he would do to Laura L. Because, wow, I want to do dirty, dirty things to Laura L. <laughs> I'm assuming we'll see that in issue two, Aaron. I- I'm hoping. I'm hoping. Um, the book is really good. There, there. You can tell some things that they're setting up. There's really no huge conflict in issue one. It's really kind of establishing the uh, the circumstances. It's a three issue miniseries, and I, I gotta tell you, I'm so pleased with the content of this book. I'm not too aggravated with the 4.99 cover price. Normally, that uh, that that would send me right over the edge. I, I'm still chafing a little bit about it, but I gotta tell you, this book is so good. That the the five dollar cover price doesn't offend me over much. Some of the things they set up in this issue, Lex Luthor as a as a as a teenager is hired by uh, Jor El's company, Jorcor, <laughs> because uh, Lex Luthor is is so smart. They uh, uh, Superman's mom wants him to connect more with the human folk, and so she sets him up with foster parents in uh, Jonathan and Martha Kent. So we do get to see, you know, uh, young Superman knowing his biological parents and spending time with his biological parents, but also getting to know the Kents. Um, we see a world that reveres the L family as celebrities, you know, and there's a lot of uh, media coverage. You know, what are they doing now? Where's 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 uh, Kal El? You know, all that kind of stuff. We find that Lara L is on a book tour. Uh, because she has written a, a a book on on theology called Rology, you know, because the the uh, Kryptonian god Rao uh, was was one of their deities. So anyway, I, I really really dig this book. It's for it's multi layered, a lot of texture to it. The artwork again is fantastic. Thoroughly digging the writing, and once again, if nothing else, Laura L's ass sells this book. There you go. Spend your five dollars on Laura L's ass. For $2 less, <laughs> Tim and I were able to enjoy Red Robin number 15. Now, we're yeah. always praising this book, so I'm very curious to hear what you have to say about this issue, Tim. Uh, I I love Damian Wayne. I have a I love Damian Wayne t-shirt in my closet now. <laughs> Every time Ooh. he shows up in this book. I'm going to choose not to hear that. Whatever. I If, if, you've re- if you read him in Robin and just read him in Red Robin – you would you would like him because he's he's Tim Drake's foil every time every line he says is just snotty annoying but also rather humorous i i it was great at one point um because this this book revolves around dealing with Vicky Vale cuz we kind of last issue we kind of said that Vicky Vale is being a problem and uh they're 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 three quarters of the way through the plan, and Damian Wayne says, "I still say I still I still voted for terminating her." <laughs> so, um, but yeah, uh, this this book also shows uh, Tim how far Tim Drake's willing to go to make uh, his plans work. Um, because in the book, he he comes up with a solution to the Vicky Vale problem, but it's going to take a lot of effort on his part. Um, in his real life persona. So what did, what did you think, Paul? You know, I loved it. I loved it. You know, there are three books this week that I absolutely loved. This is the first of the ones we're going to talk about today. I I love red Robin. You know, I I know those first couple of issues were rough, but basically since he came back to Gotham city, this has been one of DC's best releases every month. 
Um, you know, the art's always great. The story's great. And honestly, since they brought Damian Wayne as a regular character into the book, you know, you have a, a lot of great comedic bits, like you said. What about that suck-ass costume? Suck-ass costume still sucks ass. You know, uh, in fact, going back to Damian Wayne, uh, I'm going to read you this, this little portion, Masterpiece Theater here. Um, so in the last issue, they discussed that, um, you know, Tim Drake had a hit list uh, of potential superheroes that could go bad and Damian Wayne was on it and, you know, caused this strife between them and it got resolved. But in this issue, Dick says, Dick Grayson, um, Batman says, you know, relax. I'm still trying to get him over wanting to kill you in your sleep. Damian walks up saying, yes, that would be happy to do. I would be just as happy to do so while he's awake as well. And Tim Drake says, I'm standing right here. And Damian goes, an annoyance we are all well aware of. Hmm. And it's just stuff like that. Every time they're together, it's just perfect. Um, you know, I, 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 it, I really loved this book. It's well written. I like that. You know, Tim Drake is – he's always been one of my favorite DC characters. Um, but, you know, you, you're finally getting to see in this book, you know, why he's so smart, you know, the, the great ideas that he comes up with. I thought this was a damn good book. Yeah, I, I – and again, uh, Marcus Toll, rocking it hard. This is one of the, I think, one of the best uh, drawn books uh, coming out every month. So Again, let's repeat it. This book made Tim like Damian Wayne. I heard Damian Wayne. <laughs> Bam. Oh Bam. See, I just, I, 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 I'm not hearing this. I'm not hearing this. Uh, well, before we traumatize Aaron too bad... <laughs> I guess we'll move on to Marvel's new releases and start talking about Doom War, the final issue of which was released this week. And um, behind that crappy John Romita Jr. cover, six in a row, yeah, you know, lies the story and lies the conclusion of the Doom War. What'd you think, Aaron? You know, uh, I liked it. I think that uh, this this series shows how um, the big event comic really ought to be done. I, I have enjoyed. This book from beginning to end, you know, from issue one all the way to issue six, I do have one complaint about the book. And I know that startles you, Paul. I know you're surprised. Shocker. What? Aaron has a complaint? No. But I do. <laughs> I, I, I do. I, I've got a complaint. And I think they shied away at the end of the book. I think, you know, there there is a scene where – and I'm about to spoil this really hard. So, you know, if you don't want your, your doom more spoiled, you'll want to fast forward about a minute or so. But uh, the big climax at the end of the book, the way that we defeat Doom, who has, you know, brought all of the vibranium uh, to himself and is using it to control various parts of the world, Black, uh, the former Black Panther, uh, T'Challa, destroys all the vibranium, essentially rendering it inert across the world. But of course, it's only the Wakandan vibranium. So, you know, there's still Savage Land vibranium out there. And what I would have really liked to have seen, I think what would have really have sent this this uh, home as, as really an impact, because, you know, it destroys the Wakandan economy. I mean, that's what everyone's saying. You can't do this. You're going to destroy the Wakandan economy. And he does it. But what you don't see is the impact of having destroyed all of that other than how it affects Doom. And what you really should have seen is uh, Bucky Cap walking along, fighting somebody in New York City, and his shield just disintegrates because it's made of vibranium and adamantium, right? 
mm-hmm. I would have liked to have seen that impact because that is that is the 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 prime artifact that is composed of vibranium, and I would have liked to have seen it just disintegrate. I think that would have made this story even more important. Yeah, and that's the the, the problem. I mean, uh, don't get me wrong. I enjoyed this series. We've talked about it every issue. We've enjoyed every issue. Um, I felt there were some weaknesses in the ending, mm-hmm. um, not the least of which is this has literally no lasting effect on anything in the Marvel Universe yeah. except, of course, Black Panther. Um, and, you know, did I expect it to? Probably not. You know, it's a self-contained miniseries, no tie-in issues. Of course, it's not going to have a lasting effect. Um, but, you know, they, they set up this huge battle with Doom for six issues now. And, um, you know, the way to beat Doom was essentially pressing a button, and two pages later, the, the story's over. There's, like, no, you know, no uh, denouement or whatever, you know, yeah. that, to really kind of wrap up the story. And maybe it would have been more interesting to let Doom win this war. I mean, that's where I was kind of hoping that we were going to go, is, is that this was going to be a jumping-off point to something bigger. Because I we've all felt like Doom was being set up as the next big bad in the Marvel Universe, and I would have liked to have seen him carry this forward. You know, we see throughout Doom's history, his grab for more power. You know, he tried to steal the power from the Silver Surfer, which he even, you know, references in this book. And so this was just yet another attempt for him stealing more power. And we've I, I at least found uh, his conversation conversation with the Panther God, and I think issue five, um explaining why he does the things that he does. You really got a glimpse at how Doom views himself. You know, Doom doesn't see him as a villain. He sees himself as the only guy who's capable of saving mankind. You know, he feels like, you know, the other heroes in the Marvel Universe aren't willing to make the the choices and the sacrifices that he is. And he's thinking big picture. I would have liked to have seen, since we got to see you know where he's coming from. I would have liked to have seen him get over on Black Panther in this book. I think it would have been more interesting for him to have succeeded, uh, yeah, escaped with the vibranium for a while longer. I think that the the resource to be able to destroy the vibranium was really more of a uh, you know got out of the box kind of thing because you know there was no hint that they could do this in the previous five books. Yeah. And, and why is it that he was only that desperate to do it at that moment? Yeah. You know, everything else was, you know, it's not like that was any worse of a moment than any other moment in the book. I agree. Um, and this whole thing yeah. about how you can't start a war with Doom. You can't be seen as the as the country that starts a war with Doom. And I'm like, really? <laughs> you know, yeah. if Doom's not, you know, universally recognized as a bad guy throughout the world, who is yeah, I mean, and don't get me wrong, you know, and and my favorite part is the last page, where everything's, you know, it, the doom, doom has just been defeated, and the last page, everything's hunky-dory, smiley, happy, shiny. You know, they're helping Wakanda, you know, I guess make repairs if the Avengers are there, yeah. the X-Men are there. And in the middle of all of it, Deadpool, standing right next to Steve Rogers, with his arm around some Wakandan chick just chilling there known fugitive deadpool you know known fugitive from the law deadpool chilling right next to both captain americas like eh. yeah (laughs) okay it's okay that i'm here even though i was an assassin even though black panther hired me as an assassin i get you i'm just gonna chill with the good guys i did you know i'm not not a huge deadpool fan in fact i don't think i've ever read a, a a deadpool book i've only ever seen him in guest shots in other people's books i enjoyed his appearance in the series 
I did too. I, like, I thought he was well used. And and don't get me wrong, I, I'm bitching about how how the how the series wrapped up, but I really liked this. I'm gonna buy this in trade. It's gonna be on my bookshelf. Um, I just I, I think there are some choices that would have been a little more interesting. I agree, and you know honestly, I think maybe some of it will see play out. There's you know obviously the upcoming Black Panther Claws of the Panther written by Jonathan Mayberry that continues this story. So you know I, I think maybe some beats story beats were left for that. But I'm I'm gonna pick it up because I enjoy Doom War so much, and I don't normally buy Black Panther books. Um, you know I just the, the character hasn't interested me in a long time. But uh, I think this might have brought me back in at least for for the next miniseries. Well, you know, and while I agree that I think it's going to roll forward in the B- Black Panther story, I don't think any of this is going to have any impact anywhere else in the Marvel Universe. I mean, Correct. nobody anywhere over this six-issue cycle in any of the other books has mentioned that there's a Doom War going on. There's been no reference to it. And this brings me into Avengers Prime. Um, now, I got a question for you, Tim. Yeah. What's going on right now in the regular Thor book? In the regular Thor book, Thor is in hell. Okay, and and he goes to hell. Um, where does that fall in the timeline with Siege? It's after Siege. Like immediately after Siege, isn't it? I mean, like, you know, not, not long at all, right? Within a couple of days, yeah. Okay. And, and and who's the bad guy in that story? That would be Mephisto. Yeah, and, and okay, so you got Mephisto there, and then uh, Thor is helping uh, Hela, right? Yeah. Okay, so she's all involved in this because her her uh, her domain of hell uh, went away when, you know, uh, Asgard was moved to Oklahoma, right? Correct. And yep. so she, she has carved out a little space for herself in Mephisto's hell. Okay. Which, ha- which happened in the Loki one-shot siege. Exactly. Okay. Yes. So Avengers Prime, Paul, you read that. The first issue, not the second. Correct. I read the first issue. Okay, so Avengers Prime, issue number one. When does that occur in relation to Siege? Immediately after. Okay. So, I mean, like moments after after Siege wraps up, uh, Steve Rogers, Thor, Tony Stark all get sucked into this vortex and wind up elsewhere, right? So in issue two, and we're all agreed, this all happens immediately after Siege. In issue two... It is revealed that the bad guy in this in this story is Hela, who has been spending all of her time taking over what's left of the nine worlds with her, the domain of her of her uh, hellish you know denizens. I'm throwing a flag. Shenanigans. <laughs> I mean, I, I I'm I was stunned at the reveal. Wouldn't uh, not stunned because wow that's such a clever use of the character, but stunned at how there is no communication, there is no bother to coordinate storylines over at Marvel. And you know the 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 thing that is appealing about the Marvel universe is that it is one universe. And I know we're going to have some continuity issues when you've got Wolverine on eighteen different titles, but it is astonishing to me that you'll take a character like Thor, who is a a big tentpole character, and they have micromanaged the moments after Siege so hard that they don't bother to clarify. Because, I mean, explain to me how, how this works in the timeline. Because this clearly takes place 
prior to Thor's excursion, but only by may, maybe 24 hours. You know, uh, I, Avengers Prime it takes place prior to the events in the main Thor book. So if Hela is the villain in Avengers Prime, why would he ever choose to help her in the main Thor book? I, I, I got this. I'm going to be a Marvel editor apologist here. <laughs> so Matt Fraction was supposed to take over Thor immediately following Siege, right? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So maybe he had a a story storyboard about what he was going to do in Thor. So that when they were working on Avengers Prime, you know, they kind of knew what pieces that Matt Fraction was going to play with, right? Yeah. So when they plotted it out, using Hela would would make sense. And you know, if if Thor didn't go to hell and was helping Hela, Wait, that's confusing. Whatever. You, you see, you see the point. I think that what happened was when Matt Fraction um, wimp teared out. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And uh, Karen Gillan stepped up to the plate. He didn't. He just did. You know the arc that he had. You know in his head. And I, I, I can see how that happens. And yeah, I, I, I agree that 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 is a a reason. I don't think it's an excuse though. I mean, I think well, Karen Gillan's got to come up. I, I think the writer has to say, here are the pieces I want to use. And the editor needs to ball up and say, you can't use them. Well, and not only that, I mean, Avengers Prime is a bi-monthly book. Yeah, I, I think it's six issues, right, Aaron? Yes. Do a five. Sorry. It's five. Oh, five. It's going to take ten months, at minimum, assuming there are no delays, which there will be, yeah. for this series to be released. They, they could make some changes in that time. Well, and and the only reason I picked it up because you revealed, uh, you know, when the last time we talked about Avengers Prime number one, you had said, "Oh, it's a it's a bi monthly book," and I said, like, "Crap!" And so I wasn't going to pick it up, but I heard Bendis say that Alan Davis has all the pages drawn now, and that it'll probably release sooner than bi monthly, oh, uh, okay. because Marvel doesn't hold on to stuff once they're done. And so I was like, "Oh, great! I'm going to pick it up." And now you have heard me bitch about this book. I really enjoyed it. I I loved the story. I loved the artwork. It the dialogue is perfect in this book. Um, what I I didn't care for was the glaring uh, omission of any kind of, of of attention to continuity. It was just really really hard to get past. But other than that, I dug this book. <sighs> Frustrates me. Yeah, I'm not convinced. But. No. Oh, go ahead, Paul. Oh, no, please, Tim. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to ask Aaron: is is it at the point in the story where they're all they're all together, or are they still all broken up? Uh, they're. I think they're going to get together in issue three because uh, you can you can see how things that each of them are doing it, is visible to the others. Um, Tony Stark gets captured by trolls in this book, which cracks me up. Um, <clears throat> he uh, he gets into a rather uh, transcendental sort of conversation with the trolls, except you know everyone makes the same mistake in this book where they mention, "Hey, I'm a friend of Lord Thor," <laughs> and you know that's not buying anybody any friends here. So, uh, you know, would you, would you would you Tony Stark asks the, the trolls. He says, "Would you mind telling me uh, where I am and who I'm surrendering to?" Because he was going to surrender. Oh, and let me back up to the surrendering part. You know, he says. Uh, uh, he says, uh, "You surrender." The troll says, "You surrender them." And he says, "I'm um, technically, but only because I'm overpowered and completely surrounded." And you know, the the uh, 
the the guy the Tony Stark says, you know, so tell me who I'm surrendering to. to and the troll says, one could say that that any surrender is in fact a surrender to oneself. <laughs> and you know, Tony Stark's like. Uh, then let's start with where I am, uh, actually. And, and and please don't say anything like, and the troll interrupts him with, you're on a path of your own choosing. So it's this great conversation between the trolls and, and Tony Stark until tr- Tony throws out there that, you know, I'm a friend of Lord Thor, and then they hit him with a big bone. <laughs> Knock that him out. A, that is a deep, deep troll. <laughs> it really is. He's very deep. He's very deep. <laughs> and the writing of the book is is very clever. It's what you expect from uh, from Bendis. Again, with the exception of the glaring uh, oversight of continuity, I really enjoyed the book. There you go. Now, another appearance of Thor uh, was recommended to me by by our Tim. I wasn't going to pick it up. It was a one-shot, The Rage of Thor. And I got a note from Tim this week saying, dude, Rage of Thor, pick it up. Thank me later. Uh Tim, tell us about the Rage of Thor. Well, let me let me state let me state right off the bat. This is my book of the week. I've been, I've been praying to Odin secretly to uh, deliver a Thor book that uh, I felt was um, on par with some of JMS's books. Not to say that Kieran Gillen's done a bad job, but I've been missing I've been missing some. Uh, uh, there's been something missing, I guess, and I, I don't even know how to define it. But this book uh, definitely delivered on all fronts. Um, this is a one-shot, but it ties specifically back to a, a uh, I think it was a two-parter or a three-parter um, that came out last year, where um, there was a uh, fake Thor that was running around killing people, and uh, Oiden had uh, tasked uh, I think it was the Warriors Three to arrest Thor. Well, this takes place immediately after that, and Thor's still kind of PO'd at Oiden. That uh, he he doubted Thor's innocence, even though Thor was acting like a complete dick about it. So, uh, <laughs> um, it, it, basically, what happens is you know Thor just gets tired of the the eternal life. He he's he's tired of the the drinking and whoring and all that, and he just decides to walk away because he's still mad at his father. And so he. The scene picks up with him uh, in a, in a you know an, a mortal life um, with with a I guess you'd call it a wife and, a, and an adopted son and I I thought it was it was amazing it was very nice to see that side of Thor the the part of him where he 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 broke down he was tired of fighting he was tired of the games and that you know and obviously. It being a Thor book, you know, he gets pulled back into that. But the moments where he was not Thor, but Tor, I, I thought were were awesome. And the you know the lament that have having to go back to the eternal grind was was awesome. So yes, I did recommend it because I was I was hot for this book, and I'm hoping I'm hoping you felt the same way about it. Oh yeah, I thank you for recommending the book. Uh, it, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I you know I picked it up uh, Thursday and read it Thursday evening, and you know I I, I really dug it. Um, I when I when I looked at the book and solicits, I wasn't sold on the cover, you know, and I was like, eh, I don't need another Thor one shot that you know doesn't do anything. I'm kind of kind of down on one shots these days, but you know your uh, your 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 high praise of the book sold me. And I picked it up, and I I really enjoyed the book. And like yourself, 
I I thought the tour moments, you know, where he is the farmer warrior, were the strongest moments of the book. You know, yes. I I totally dug it, and and I thought um, there's a scene in the book where Balder um, apologizes to Thor for taking him away from all of that. You know, where you see that Balder Balder recognizes why Thor has chosen you know this life on Earth. Uh, that he has, and you know, and Balder is is very, you know, he says, "Forgive me, Thor." He says, "I I was three months on Midgard searching for you. Then I started hearing stories, stories of a warrior farmer who had defeated the Marauders. I heard that this man loved a woman, that he had adopted her son, whose father had been killed by raiders some years before. I heard they were happy. Forgive me for asking you to leave leave such a life. And I I I, I thought that was a terrific scene where. Where there is at least one other Asgardian who got what Thor was doing. I, I, I thought it was great. I, it was just a, a really terrific book. I I can I concur, and I I'm hopeful that um, they continue the one shot that that has loose strings together like yeah. this one did. Yeah, I, I thought that was a nice uh, tie back to last year's uh, uh, story. Because you know, it it was I was halfway through before I realized that they were tying back to something previously. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I just thought they were just you know that this was something that happened. I didn't realize that it was another story until I was about halfway through, and then I re- remembered, hey, I read that. Uh, I, I I dug it. I thought it I thought it was a, a very strong uh, performance. But I got to ask you guys, you know, you're an Asgardian, you know, you're immortal. Do you really mm-hmm. think that you'd get tired of the whoring and the drinking? No. I say I don't either. I think that's just a writer's cop out. I think I I think I could tune in hard to uh, whoring and drinking for eternity. I think I could totally do that. I think anything else would be boring. Exactly. Exactly. In fact, I'm a lot more comfortable with the Asgardian afterlife than I am with like the Christian afterlife because everything you see of, of their heaven is just a bunch of people standing around in, in, in white gowns and going, ha, ah, 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 ah. you know, I, I, I'm kind of down with the whoring and the drinking. So sounds like you need to be an Asgardian. I, I think saying. I might. I think I might. And I'm uh, I, I didn't read this one, but there is a, a Thor miniseries coming out, coming out uh, called um, Thor for Asgard. Have you guys seen any preview art for that? I have not. No. It's by uh, Simone Bianchi, and uh, I would never tell anyone to go to a site that wasn't ideologyofmadness.com. Uh-huh. There's some preview art on Newsarama. Um, Ugh, Newsarama. I know, but it looks amazing. The art looks absolutely gorgeous, and uh, I, you know, I, I'm definitely going to pick it up regardless of the price. It looks like a gorgeous, gorgeous book. So. Uh, I'm looking forward to to hearing if you guys are going to pick that one up and uh, we can chat about it on the show. On the show. Did it say when it was coming out, Paul? Um, I think it's coming out within the next week or two. It's in September, is what it says. Limited series in September. And holy crap, that artwork looks nice. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about that one. And I'm not the hugest Simone Bianchi fan, but I, I think it looks beautiful. Yeah, that does look very nice. Now, another book that's really kind of been praised for its art um, is Shield, um, which is also bi-monthly. 
And, uh, you know, six months later, we're talking about the third issue of S.H.I.E.L.D. Well, we're not. Aaron is. <laughs> yeah, uh, this is another bi-monthly book, and I know uh, Paul's waiting for the trade. Um, I really dig it. I, I, won't, I won't say much about the book other than it continues to be beautifully illustrated. Um, the story's getting a little more convoluted than I, than I care for. I mean, I, I think this is going to read spectacularly in trade. Uh, reading it bi-monthly, it's hard to remember some of the crunchy bits from the prior but I got to tell you, watching, reading the uh, the uh, 16th century battle between uh, uh, the agents of Shield at that time against Galactus is pretty cool. Uh, uh, really, really a very nifty nifty book. The thing that I, that I want to mention is, you know, I, I have been down on editors for a good long while, and they misspelled Isaac Newton on the variant on the variant cover. You know, because Isaac Newton appears in the story this time around. And they misspelled Isaac Newton's name on the cover. On the cover. On the variant Jesus. cover. I mean, God. Yeah, I mean, it's just how how stupid do you need to be? Really, how stupid, Paul? Tell me, quantify it. Less intelligent than Isaac Newton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just I was stunned that they uh, that that I mean, just such a glaring error. Ugh. Anyway, but other than that. Shield continues to be an awfully strong book, and I, I I am hoping that they give it the premium hardcover treatment with lots of extras in the book because this book is just outstanding. And and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna throw out a, a little tidbit there for you, Paul. Something that you'll appreciate because I know this this is right up your alley. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Isaac Newton, you know, ventures to. Uh, the deviant city, you know, the uh, the opposites to the Eternals, in the okay. year sixteen twenty five, and has sex with a deviant. Nice. Yeah, and you know she she is just as you know one eyed giant fish mouth barbed and uh, <laughs> scaly as she can be. You're gonna dig that. <laughs> I look forward to the trade next year. <laughs> Woo! So there you go, shield. <laughs> so we're going to continue our uh, our, uh, de- our depths of uh, Spider-Man Experiment 101, which is Paul's reintroduction into Spider-Man with Spider-Man 639. Yes, yes. All right. We're so waiting Spider-Man? to see if this blows up on your face, Paul. I'm just letting you know. I <laughs> like a money shot. No. Um, well, like Isaac Newton, you know, and the Deviant. Yeah. Exactly. All over her face. <laughs> I, uh, this is the second chapter of the One Moment in Time storyline. That's basically the explanation of how everything works in this brand new day world of uh, The Amazing Spider-Man. And um, first of all, going back, we've, the last couple of books we talked about were bi-monthly. And I want to say that having a new Amazing Spider-Man every week or two is really damn nice. Um, you know, Even though I wasn't big on the brand new day stuff, I, I, I like the idea that you know, yeah, there's four Batman books a month, but they have nothing to do with each other. When it comes to Amazing Spider-Man, you know, you're getting the sequential storyline every week or every other week. And it's not sucky like uh, Brightest Day. Um, so Amazing Spider-Man 639. I said I had three excellent books to talk about this week. This is the second one. And this is my book of the week. Um. I am loving this storyline. 
Um, so basically, uh, for those who remember, uh, one more day, I think was what started brand new day. Um, you know, so Spider-Man and Mary Jane made a deal with Mephisto to bring Aunt May back and it would involve their marriage, basically that their marriage would have never happened. Um, so one moment in time is what happened, um, or, you know, is actually what happened, you know, in their marriage. And basically, Spider-Man is trying to stop a criminal. He's knocked unconscious. You know, he's gotten the hell beat out of him. And so he misses the marriage. Now, um, it, it and what, what I like about it is him and Mary Jane do resolve him missing the marriage. They make up um, and they continue their relationship, just not as a married couple. So essentially what they're trying to say is everything that you've read, you know, everything that you know everyone complained about, well, every story I've read for the past 20 years didn't happen. No, it happened. They just weren't married when it happened. They stayed as a couple, an unmarried couple, I guess, living in sin or whatever. Um, so all of those things happened. They just weren't married when they happened. Wait, now, what? Living in <laughs> sin? I, I don't understand, Paul. Are you saying that, that Spider-Man, our hero – had knowledge of Mary Jane without being married to her? He had knowledge of Mary Jane many times. I'm assuming. He knowledge her in the hallway. He knowledge <laughs> her on the stairs. He, he knowledged the shit out of her. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he is well he is the Isaac Newton of Mary Jane. <laughs> Uh, nice show title right there. Hello. Hello. I'm, I'm, I'm here. I think we lost Paul. Paul. Sorry about that. Um, I said, luckily this book didn't have any reprint pages like the last issue did. Um, it's all new art. And I think what they're getting to is, you know, it, what's kind of interesting is they're still talking about Spider-Man unmasking during Civil War. So that still happened. And, um, and, and you know, Aunt May was still shot. And what we're getting to at this point is, you know, Aunt May's in the hospital. And for anyone who read that Brand New Day stuff, you know, Aunt May was in the hospital getting ready to die. And the change comes at the very end of this issue, spoilers on, where she, she really does flatline and Peter Parker saves her life. Um, so it, it's very interesting. You know, I, I think the, you know, how it all works is going to come next issue. You know, if he's still unmasked, you know, all that still happened. How is it that nobody knows his identity? That kind of stuff. Um, so I'm definitely looking forward to seeing how this resolves. This was an excellent, excellent book. Um, I, I really loved it. I, I really can't say enough positive about it. Um, now, is it going to make me go back and read Brand More, Brand New Day from the very beginning? No, because there's a hundred freaking issues, and it's not making me like Brand New Day necessarily. The status quo of Brand New Day, um, you know, but it's a good story about Peter Parker and Mary Jane. So let me let me ask you something, Paul, because yes. you've been you've been reading you've been reading Spider-Man before uh, Brand New Day, and now. A little bit, a little bit into omit, um, and a little bit before that. Do you mm-hmm. feel like that's kind of like a a, a half-ass cop out? You know, yeah, that, why, that why couldn't? Yeah, why couldn't they just either make it go all the way back, have them married, 
all the stories are exactly the same as before, or you know, keep it the same and fight and fight. You know, have Brian Michael Bendis fight the good fight with this single Spider-Man baloney. This seems like a, a half-ass effort, I think. Well, and I'll be honest with you, this seems you know, as far as a cop out, I don't know if it's a cop out, but when I read this. What I totally think – with every page of this story, I totally think, why isn't this what happened originally? Why didn't they do this you know, to resolve you – know, because I, I don't know what happened to make everyone forget Spider-Man's identity. You know, Well, at least how they're going to explain it in this storyline. Um, I'm assuming that will come in the next issue. But you know, why wasn't – Though, why weren't those storylines resolved like this? Because this is, you know, the storytelling is excellent. The, you know, the relationship, the way it's portrayed is very mature. Uh, and I, I'm really just digging this book. And again, I'm not seeing it so much as a cop out as a, this should have been done from the very beginning. I think a lot of fans would have been happier had this been the storyline rather than one more day. Okay. That's a good answer. <laughs> well, you know, and um, another book that had Spider-Man in it this week that I read was Marvel Universe versus the Punisher. Okay, now that cover looked awful, and that's why I didn't pick it up. How is it on the inside? Third excellent book of the week. Really? The, this book was fantastic. If Amazing Spider-Man hadn't been so good, this would have been my book of the week. What was it, the was the interior art as bad as the the exterior? Unfortunately, the interior art is very much the, similar to the exterior art. Um, it is stylized like that. Ugh. But the strength is really in the story. Um, now, I know none of you guys have read Crossed um, from Avatar Press. Um, Crossed is, you know, it's... But listen listen to Paul feeling so superior. I know none of you have read Crossed. I'm very is. eclectic and murder, murder, murder. I'm a wine drinker. <laughs> <laughs> I drink Chardonnay when I read Crossed. Um, no, but, uh, <laughs> basically, it's Paul like also pees sitting down. Good. I, I do. There you go. And I fold my toilet paper. Um, <laughs> so it uh, it's... You know, everyone thinks, you know, this is kind of like a Marvel Zombies thing. And I kind of thought that, too, because they describe the heroes as mindless cannibals. And what it basically boils down to is they're not mindless cannibals. They are cannibals, but they're basically deviants. You know, all of all sense of con, you know, um, their conscience um, of right in them has been taken away. And basically people are just evil and cannibalistic. Um, but they're not mindless. I mean, they're they're vindictive. They're you know they're they're mean. Um, and basically, the, this outbreak begins, and it's caused by the Punisher unknowingly. Um, but the outbreak begins with Spider-Man, who you know defeats the Rhino um, in the middle of a, a hockey game. You know, in the middle of a stadium full of people, and then rips off the Rhino's costume and starts eating him from the neck um and from there stuff just gets worse now you know yeah it could sound similar to marvel zombies and they i think they try their hardest to make it not marvel zombie-ish because you know by making them you know coherent of what they're doing rather than just mindless zombies but the story you know it's dark it's creepy it's extremely, extremely well written. I like, you know, the way the characters are portrayed. Um, you know, they they describe, 
you know, I'm just going to give you a couple of examples uh, of what the heroes did after they went bad. Daredevil killed and ate a couple of nuns, strung their finger bones on a necklace he made from a rosary. Um, (laughs) The blob walked into a Chinese restaurant in Hoboken and ate everyone. But he's going to be hungry an hour later. They actually make that joke in the book. God. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But my favorite, and really the darkest one, and I'm looking for it here, um, is related to Sue Storm of the Fantastic Four. And if I can find it, do-do-do. All right, here we go. Sue Richards, oh, sorry, Sue Richards held out a long time, but finally she put one of her force fields around her kids and suffocated them. It may have been a mercy killing, but I'm not sure. So it's totally a dark, dark story. Um, but it's it's great. I, I highly recommend it. I mean, you know, you may want to pick it up in trade. Uh, it is three ninety nine an issue, and if you're not big on the art, I, I get it. Uh, the art is very stylized, but the story is extremely good, um, and, and I, I I loved it. I really did. Again, it would have been my book of the week if I hadn't loved Amazing Spider Man so much. Sound very sold on it, Paul, but you've not sold me. <laughs> but you know what you did sell me on? What did I sell you on, Aaron? Christopher Golden's Baltimore the Plague Ships number one. Uh, you uh, dropped your interview this week with Christopher Golden, who has written a lot with uh, Mike Manola and others. And uh, this is his, uh, his uh, comic, continuing the story from his Baltimore novel. Uh, and why don't you tell us a little bit about it, Paul? I think I will. All right, so... <laughs> Um, Baltimore starts off during World War One, where a vampire plague um, has spread out amongst the world. So this is an you know an alternate universe, an alternate reality where the vampire plague has kind of started spreading out across the world. And apparently, Baltimore is on the hunt for a very specific vampire um, that has done something very horrible to him. Now, in the series, the comic book series, this hasn't been explained. It is explained in the Baltimore novel. Um, Have you read the Baltimore novel, Paul? I have not, and I've always wanted to. Um, I hear it's excellent. It looks gorgeous. I have not read it, um, but this takes. Uh, you know, we we did interview Christopher Golden, um, you know, last week. Uh, you can listen to that now, and um, you know, he did say that this is wholly independent. You can read this without having read the book, and I agree. Honestly, you know, I, I didn't feel lost. I felt like there are story. There's more story that will be told to us, but I didn't feel lost reading this comic book. Right. So uh, what did you think? Well, you know, I I listened to your interview the day after I read the book. I had, you know, I was editing the interview and and, and I could hear your excitement around it and really kind of dug some of the things Christopher Golden was saying through the editing. But, you know, you listen to it with a different ear when you're editing than when you read. So Mm -hmm. I bought the book, uh, read it, and... I didn't – you know how sometimes you read you read through a book the first time and you kind of go, meh. <laughs> it's not that you didn't hate it, but – it's not that you hated it, but you didn't love it, you know, that you were just somewhere just indifferent to it. Mm-hmm. And and that was kind of how I felt, felt on my first pass. I enjoyed the uh, the artwork, but I just really didn't get a whole lot out of the story. And, you know, when I listened to the interview uh, in depth uh, – 
Christopher Golden sold me on it. Now, you know, he, he was talking about some elements that are in the book that I didn't catch the first time out. And I think it was probably because I was tired when I read it. It was at the end of a very long day. And I just think I wasn't giving it, you know, the full attention. So I read it again that evening and loved it. Um, I, I really did dig the book. Uh, I, I, there's, I think there's a lot to like here. It makes me hungry to go out and, and read the, the Baltimore novel. And one thing I just have to say, Paul, uh, does Baltimore look a little bit to you like Patrick Stewart? He does. Now that you mention it, <laughs> I mean there, are, there, are, you're you're saying, oh, you know, he's a he's a a trim, bald English guy. Of course, he looks like like Patrick Stewart. But there is one scene in particular where you're looking at him straight on, and and I mean, he just looks just like Captain Picard. Uh, uh, so, so that kind of I, I, I would love to 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 ask you know Christopher Golden if if the uh, uh, character is is figured on that because he does have that very uh, uh, Picard uh, Patrick Stewart like nose. Um, I I liked the art direction on the book. I loved the haunted Zeppelin hovering over the town. Um, all the all the all the vampire action and and you know bad things are going to happen to this girl that wants to follow uh, Baltimore out of town. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, bad bad things. Um, it was kind of funny because my first pass through, you know, I, I, I guess I read it kind of quick. I did not catch the fact that he had a wooden leg. Really? Yeah, I really didn't. I just, you know, even on that first scene, and you know, it's it's clearly there. But again, I was very tired when I read this book the first time. Did not even catch the wooden leg. And I love how it's drawn with the with the joint action on it. It's uh, on the cover. <laughs> and, and again, didn't notice it. <laughs> now the the cover looks very similar to a Hellboy cover, and I think it's uh, from the Seed of Destruction. Um, um, Seed of Destruction trade paperback. Mm-hmm. That I mean, it looks the 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 color scheme, the way the the blocking is built on it, the the uh, the way Baltimore is drawn reminds me very much of uh, of of that Hellboy trade paperback cover. Um, not that I'm complaining. I just think it looks very similar to that. Um, one thing that I thought was interesting, and I, I don't know if you if you have anything to comment on it, Paul. There is the scene where you know he's harpooning the, the the big vampire bats, yes, and the red bird comes out of the vampire bat's uh, mouth. I think the red bird is the vampire that he's hunting for. Oh, really? Um, that the the visual of the red bird is something that's on the cover of the Baltimore novel. Okay. So I, I think that definitely has something to do with that vampire that he's looking for. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, you know, again, I think more of this will be explained. And um, honestly, you know, reading this, it really makes me want to go out and pick up the novel. Same here. You know, to get more story, because I, I like the character. I like the ideas. I like the premise. You know, vampires in World War One, Zeppelins. And it, can you I mean, it's just awesome. Right? Yeah, the, the 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 design scheme is is really a lot of fun. I, you know, I love that. That Prussian era of, uh, of 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 uniforms and and uh, war and, and whatnot. I just it looks very interesting. It's very visually stimulating. I am stimulated visually by it. It tickles your pickle. It does tickle my pickle. My pickle. <laughs> it's tickled. But uh, yeah, I enjoyed it, and uh, I'm looking forward to. It's a five issue miniseries, and uh, I, I will definitely stick on board for it. Yeah. 
So, you know, last week we talked about a couple of Radical books, and we were complaining that Radical Comics released seven new books last week, um, most of them issue ones or issue zeros, and uh, we had only had time to read a couple of them. Now, uh, Wayne's not on the show to talk about any more that he read, but Tim and I uh, read a couple more, including Riders on the Storm, or Rider on the Storm, excuse me, and Hotwire. So um, I read Rider on the Storm, which is written by David Hine, who's currently writing um, Detective Comics for DC Comics. Uh, and the story is about it's you know it's a zero issue that was released for only a dollar so if you if you're interested you can pick it up it's a, it's about a private eye in the future who's hired to investigate a suicide involving a man who drills multiple holes into his head um now, before you think, well, how does that happen? You can only drill one hole in your head before you die. You know, it's the future. There are futuristic drugs. Apparently, it's possible. Um, but in researching the murder, he comes across a kind of a, 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 an ancient text concerning demons um, and how demons are hiding amongst humans. Um, and I pretty much just described the entire Zero issue to you. There's not much more story um, than that. Uh, but it, it, it's a very interesting premise. It's a very interesting start. You know, it's kind of like Blade Runner, I guess, with demons. Um, you know, again, it was it was a one dollar issue. Uh, it was a good introduction. Not too much to tell, but the art is beautiful. Um, and you know, I, I would recommend picking it up if you know if you're into if you're into you know the the more futuristic type settings. You know, I like I, I have a soft spot, I guess, for you know detectives in the future for that kind of uh, genre. So I, I was definitely interested in it, and I'll definitely pick up the first issue uh, and uh, see how it goes. So Hotwire was also um, one of the books that we read, and Tim, you read that one, right? I did. And um, the easiest way I can describe this this book is, and I'm just going to go for a feel for the for the first pass. It felt very much like Ghost in the Shell and maybe like Poltergeist. If you kind of threw those wow. two together, um, so it was a very interesting read. Um, the main character Alicia is a character that um, had a tremendous IQ, and she uh, rejected that. You know, being the smartest person in the room, so there's there were drugs that she took to make herself dumber, and um, you know, at some point, because in this in this world, the uh, the ghosts don't go away; they stay on Earth. So the the cops have to uh, kind of corral them and and you know, put them away basically. Well, after she comes into contact with her first ghost, she. Uh, she decides to, you know, kick the stupid drugs after she watches her boyfriend die, and um, kind of go back to the police force. This book actually takes place because um, uh, I'm thinking there was a hot wire before this, but anyways, maybe not because Radical's kind of new. Um, Alicia had uh, saved the city, but had gotten horribly burned and lost an arm. And so she was resting up in the hospital. This takes place six months after that, where the police are running into problems with more ghosts, and they're trying to get her on board to help. And finally, she decides to help. So, and that's kind of about all I can all I can tell you about it. They're building up to something because the ghosts are 
kind of getting smarter, it seems like. That's kind of the vibe I get from the book. So, um, I, if 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 the feel that I described is something that would interest you, I would I would recommend this book. Not my typical fare because I'm not a big horror fan, but it's not really horror, but it's definitely uh, there's a creepy vibe in this book. Hmm. So, I'd recommend well, it if you like that vibe. Well, I might give it a shot. And it is uh, Warren Ellis is uh, one of the the writers on that book. So if you're a Warren yes. Ellis fan, you may want to check it out. Last week, we were talking about the Marvel uh, Ultimate series, um, Ultimate uh, Mystery, in which you know we, we talked a lot about Spider-Man and his lady clone, Spider-Woman, who is a, a clone of him but is of the opposite gender. And you know, thinking about that conversation that we had last week, I, I started to wonder you know, if there is an opposite gender clone of yourself, would you have sex with it? Tim? No. <laughs> no. Why not, Tim? Why? Okay, so here's here's my logic behind this. If it's okay. a clone of me, uh-huh. it has the same mother and father, right? Uh-huh. So if a, if it has the same mother and father and it's a, and it is a female, it would be like a sister, right? Well, I suppose that's one way to look at it. That's my that's my logic behind saying no. But so okay, I just want to clarify. So you're saying you wouldn't have sex with your sister either? No. Weird. Because <laughs> <laughs> I know Paul's totally into that. No, but <laughs> but I would totally have sex with a clone of myself that was a female. The problem is, it, unless that clone of myself had shit taste in men, she wouldn't have sex with me. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I, I would be the Isaac Newton of my clone. <laughs> would your kid come up like a deviant with scales and one eye? I, I don't understand. I'll, I'll wear a rubber, Tim. I'm not going to knock up my clone. That's oddly thoughtful. <laughs> Paul is nothing if not thoughtful. I, I am a thoughtful mf'er. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, you know, I, I was thinking about it, and I, and I think I would because first, look at me. I'm amazing. Um, so you know, of course, my my opposite gender clone is going to be hot. Um, and and so yeah, absolutely, I'd do that, and and I, w- I would string her along until such time as I needed to harvest her organs. So uh, that is how I would play that. That's a great <laughs> idea. I totally didn't even think about that. Oh yeah, yeah. You you keep her around, you know, and uh, you know, you hopefully you know that whole cloning thing works that you know you kind of know her interests and you know you string her along until such time as you need her pancreas and how do you plan to uh get her pancreas out of her are you going to slip your clone a roofie well yeah and you know come on they're not real people they're just clones they're property (laughs) they don't have souls exactly exactly you you made them in a test tube for crying out loud they're not people (laughs) (laughs) i mean really there's not a whole lot of difference between a clone and the fleshlight let's be honest it's a good so, point. That is a then, very good point. It's another classy tip from Aaron Head, people. <laughs> and it would be like, have you ever seen that that Family Guy where Stewie clones himself? Uh, I don't believe I have. No. And he calls it. He, well, he made his clone a little dumber than he was. Yeah. And so he calls his clone Bitch Stewie. 
<laughs> so I would totally rock the bitch Paul. Oh yeah, absolutely. And that's what we would call her, bitch Paul. Bitch Paul. Bitch Paul. Hey, bitch Paul. <laughs> Get me a beer. <laughs> uh, Ow. Yeah, you always have to throw that on there, Paul. Now. Ow. Do. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, good like stuff. It. Okay. Would it consider uh, a threesome with your wife then? Would that con- well, technically be considered a threesome? Because it's you, you, and her. You, you and your wife, right? You know what? It wouldn't be. I, I, it, it's, I don't see how it could possibly be considered a threesome. There are l- literally only two beings with souls in that bed. That's right. It, uh, when, you, when you bring the vibrator in, Tim, is that considered a threesome? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> in see, theory. See, he can't answer the question. <laughs> And that ends this portion of kicked in the dice bags. <laughs> I, I think we can safely assume Jonathan would say yes and Wayne would say maybe. <laughs> Wayne would say, I would never do that and click. Yeah, then he would hang up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, I feel like we have uh, thoroughly explored this topic and, and now I, I feel like we have addressed the entire, you know, clone situation appropriately. So there you go. I can yep. sleep better at night now. Same here. You know, I, it just felt like it was a topic that was unaddressed and it needed to be spoken to. So there you go. It's a huge weight off my back. Shattering yeah. boundaries here. <laughs> <laughs> Funny well, I mean, with Aaron and Polly and Tim. In which we talk. <laughs> that's right. That's right. We, we we talk about sexing your opposite gender clone. Now, what, what where I'll let kicked in the dice bags pick up is: Do you have sex with your same sex clone? We'll let Jonathan handle that one. Yeah. <laughs> For more on that, <laughs> don't listen to this show. <laughs> well, you guys have a good week. All right, guys. You too. See ya. <laughs> Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.